Well, did you hear? PDAC was cancelled. PDAC was cancelled. I got the email yesterday night. So maybe you haven't heard yet. If you haven't, I got the email in front of me here. PDAC 2022 convention moves to June. Dear Adrian, PDAC staff and volunteers have worked tirelessly to deliver the PDAC convention. And for those that don't know, this is, as far as I understand, the world's biggest mining convention held in Toronto annually. A rite of passage for all in the mining industry, particularly in North America and Europe. Uh, But you get people from all over the world, Latin America, Africa, Australia. This is a global mining conference. As far as I know, actually, this is maybe the biggest conference that happens in Toronto, at least on an annual basis. Correct me if I'm wrong. And so just going back to this email, uh, we were... Excited to be able to offer this in person and online in March 2022. Despite our best efforts, we are unable to host the event as planned in March due to current public health restrictions in Ontario. And they are tough, the health restrictions. From what I understand, my nieces in Toronto are still working from home, doing school from home. Here in Germany, I I don't think they would, like, it's sort of seen as a last resort, That being said, you know, my girlfriend's son, anecdotally, in his class, there were five confirmed cases yesterday. So there is no, you know, not to editorialize too far on COVID, which will not serve anybody's interest here, uh, but there is no black or white answer to this. I mean, five kids with COVID in the class. So that's what happens. So it's, uh, and I'm not saying I... Me being fully transparent, I probably think they should still be going to school anyway, but I don't fault anybody that says no. Because, look, do you want your kids to get COVID? I don't don't have kids, but I don't want them to get COVID if I did. So there you have it. Anyway, the debate rages on. But just going back to PDAC, back to the email. So when is it going to be rescheduled for? So PDAC 2022 will now be hosted in person in Toronto from June 13th to 15th. And online from June 28th to 29th. So that sounds like it's just complete chaos for PDAC. Like, you got to feel for those guys because, I mean, they're putting on two conferences now, one in person and one online. And you wonder why they can't do it simultaneously. But anyways, I'm sure we're all going to find out in the coming weeks and months. But yeah, PDAC delayed. Now, meanwhile... The U.S. 10-year bond continues to rocket higher at 1.825%. Apparently, it was above 1.83% earlier. So I think the markets are just kind of waiting and seeing where the 10-year bond is going to rest. When will it stop? I mean, are you going to start taking big risks, you know, as you have this kind of big move in the bond market? So... That's my impression of what's going on right now. It's kind of a wait and see where the bonds settle themselves. Commodity prices are through the roof. We have nickel above $10, a dollar higher than last week. Copper at something like $449. I was just looking at commodity prices have broken out. So Jeff Curry looking right a week later. And another interesting thing I was hearing about China on Bloomberg and how they are cutting rates. So isn't that interesting? To me, that doesn't seem like it's going to work in the Fed's favor. And my sense is that's probably the reason why commodity prices broke out. If China is cutting rates, that's probably why they broke out. I mean, because it was a significant move in nickel, of all things, and it's, but it's across the board, as we shall see in metal prices, And you also got to wonder, I mean, I guess they're slowing down a bit, so it makes sense that China would cut. But you also got to wonder if they're also thinking if it's convenient to put the U.S. in a bit of a bind. You know, it's kind of like for them, maybe it's a win-win. It's like good for us, bad for our competition. Just waxing speculatively here. Other than that, we have a big mining conference in Riyadh that just passed. Anthony Vaccaro, Northern Miner Group president, was invited and attended, and it included Mark Bristow, Robert Friedland. So we're going to have full coverage here. And if you want the complete coverage, go to the Northern Miner website. 
And yeah, I mean, the kingdom is making a play for the medals. That must have been quite a trip. And a new take, I guess, on the party favors. I guess it's a non-alcoholic culture from what I understand. So I guess everybody went to bed early. I, I don't know. I don't know. Or who knows? Or I have never been to Saudi Arabia or frankly anywhere near Saudi Arabia. So we should almost interview Anthony on what that was like. It's not a bad idea. Coming up on the program, this interview was dropped in my lap. It features Anthony Moreau from American Eagle Gold, and he interviews Cassier Gold CEO Steve Letwin. And you may remember Steve Letwin from I Am Gold. And, you know, I Am Gold was just in the news last week. Gord Stothart the recent CEO just resigned last week. Nobody really knew why. It was sort of seen as an abrupt resignation. Interestingly, I've talked to both Gord Stothart and Steve Letwin in the past, both very gracious individuals of Steve Letwin. I mean, we talked probably more about his interest in Winston Churchill's autobiography than mining. But in this case, luckily, we have Anthony Moreau, who does the interviewing. And it really is, as I call it, a user's guide to building a mining company. All the basic questions you might want to know. So this is good for young and old, experienced and inexperienced. This is a real window into what it is like and what makes the difference when you are building a mining company. And all free of charge on the Northern Miner podcast. If you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. You can find us on Instagram at The Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts and wherever podcasts are available, including Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, we are going to take a look at this Saudi Arabia mining conference. Saudi Arabia hosts Mineral Forum aims to become global mining hub. And this is by Naimul Karim. And it says here that Saudi Arabia hosted its first ever future minerals forum from January 11th to 13th in its capital, Riyadh, to provide insight into the kingdom's mining potential and address concerns about the need to increase the supply of critical minerals required to help the world meet its decarbonization goals by 2050. Well, I guess is like the... The homeland of oil, I guess, you know, this whole move away from oil, this is just good for them in economically and good politics and good PR. I mean, it's kind of a win-win-win to be doing something like this, one would think. The world's fourth largest importer of metals, they are the world's fourth largest importer of metals, is looking to accelerate the exploration and mining of critical minerals in the country and become a new global mining hub. The country passed a new minerals investment law last year, which officials say will help create a stronger mining ecosystem. In the first 10 months of 2021, the nation provided 13 reconnaissance licenses, 133 exploration licenses, and eight exploitation licenses, according to government data. In addition, the government has designed 40 initiatives that are expected to unlock an estimated $1.3 trillion dollars worth of potential mineral value across the Arabian Shield. You know, you don't really hear that often of mining projects in that part of the world, like here and there, but not really. So maybe there is a massive untapped potential there. Quote, this event will focus on a very major endowment of Saudi, which is minerals, and it could not have come on at a better time than today when we are going through energy transition. Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman the kingdom's energy minister said during a keynote fireside chat at the conference, he further said that the world needed a well-planned transition to cleaner energy instead of a leap into the, quote, unknown future, which could create a new energy challenge. An example of the challenge the energy minister was referring to are the rising prices of metals like copper, lithium, and nickel, as we shall see, that have seen a sudden hike in demand due to the increased usage of electric vehicles globally and shortage in supply. Bin Salman said that the world shouldn't transition away from oil just to move away from the, quote, old classical concern, end quote, of being overly reliant on the Middle East for energy. A sudden transition, he said, could lead to, quote, energy security challenges for countries dealing with the availability of minerals. 
According to the minister, the energy transition should focus on three pillars. It shouldn't impact energy security. It should focus on the billions of people who haven't had their share of development and tackle climate change. Quote, we have to be seriously attentive to climate change, without which we're not going to create a sustainable economy, and it's the sustainable way of living, Ben Salman said. He also said that the country was keen on exploring its uranium resources. Quote, we do have a huge amount of uranium resources. We will be exploiting that resource and developing the yellow cake, and we will be commercially monetizing that value resource. End quote. Echoing a similar sentiment, Khalid al-Mudaifer, Saudi Vice Minister for Mining Affairs at the Ministry of Industry and Mineral Resources, said that the kingdom is, quote, forging a path to becoming not only a regional, but a global hub for exploring and mining the critical minerals needed for this global transformation, end quote. And he continued, the forum, quote, will show how Saudi Arabia can provide a blueprint for building and financing a modern, responsible, and sustainable mineral exploration and mining industry for other countries in the Middle East, Central and West Asia, and Africa. Quote, our mining strategy could be replicated in other countries across the region to help them exploit their mineral wealth, transforming the region into the next major mining jurisdiction. Very interesting stuff. And we have another article here, Key Insights from the inaugural Future Minerals Forum in Riyadh, and this by Henry Lazenby. And scroll down a bit. The Future Minerals Forum attracted industry A-listers, a sign of how serious the kingdom is about embracing the metals industry as a, as a cornerstone for its future economic prosperity. Barrick Gold Corp. CEO Mark Bristow said the kingdom had the unique opportunity to reimagine how the mining industry functions. It was a first for him to see a country marketing itself to form meaningful partnerships with the mining industry. Quote, reimagining mining is such an interesting topic because it means we need to start again. We need to, as miners, reach out and recognize we have stakeholders, not only stakeholders who are important, but equally important, our host countries and communities around our mines, the population, and the countries we work at. According to Brissot, the way forward is solidly anchored by environmental, social, and government-based investment principles. Bristow continues, no one's thinking about the developing world, and that's the part where poverty is a bigger threat to the future of this planet than anything else. And he continues also, quote, right now in a broad sense, there's a lot of promises out there with very few plans, and we need to change that. There's also a quote from Robert Friedland, quote, everything we touch is either mined or grown agriculturally. And he also said, when you drill a well looking for oil, well, it takes steel and takes metal. And he continues, it produces oil and creates energy that the world needs. We will see mining completely reinvent itself with the support of the Saudi government. With its forward-looking policy, enormous changes will accelerate. Now, I mean, Saudi Arabia isn't exactly known for forward-looking policy. Let's just call a spade a spade. So this is pretty interesting stuff that Robert Friedland is saying. And he also says, quote, the central location of this kingdom... The enormous energy of its useful government and vision for 2030 can make this the mining capital of the world. Well, I wonder what Canada would have to say about this. You know, and just to take it a step further, if, you know, the Canadian government was in the crowd, would Robert Friedland say this? If I dare to be provocative here, maybe he would. Maybe he would. But it does make you wonder if he is playing to the crowd a little bit here. And there is Mark Carney, finally, who is now the UN Special Envoy for Climate Action and Finance. So I guess once you get these big jobs, uh, you just start to go from job to job here. Aside from the evident low-hanging fruit in the energy transition, Saudi Arabia also has significant additional opportunities, including the investments in hybrids, of carbon capture, suggested Mark Carney. Quote, Saudi Arabia also has a great logistical position that is investing heavily in logistics. So, from a commercial perspective, we have the world moving to that net zero target and the huge demand that comes from that. It's important. The miners will benefit from this investment. Not sure exactly where Mark Carney is going with that, but we will let that be. 
And a few stories I just want to touch on here. Sabanye Stillwater faces strike at South African gold mines. This is by Cecilia Jamasme. The unions have scored a win since forging a united front against the industry's largest employer as the country's labor arbitration body has cleared them to strike following failed wage negotiations with Sabanye Stillwater. Collectively, the National Union of Mine Workers, Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union, UASA, and Solidarity have been negotiating for a monthly pay increase of 1,000 rand or $65 for workers in Sibanye's gold mine. And that's a monthly pay increase of only $65. I wonder how many employees they have. Like, we could do the math on this. Like, if they have 1,000 employees, that'd be $65,000 more a month. Sibanye's current wage offer would mean an increase of 520 rand, or $33.96 per month in the first year of agreement, 610 rand per month in the second, and 640 rand per month in the third year for certain categories of miners. You know, if they're experiencing inflation like they are in North America and Europe over in South Africa, I'm not sure that $33 a month extra in the first year and a little bit more in the second year and yeah, but I don't know what the situation is. I don't know how much they're paid. Sabanye added that it will continue to engage with the unions to reach a, quote, fair and reasonable agreement. So interesting, interesting. First Quantum could face higher tax and royalty payments in Panama. Latin America continues to sort of shift to the left a little bit in terms of demanding more from the miners that are working there. Endeavor Silver to buy SSR's Pitarilla project in Mexico for $70 million. And Pitarilla is a silver project. And Talon Metals will supply nickel to Tesla from the Tamarack project in Minnesota. It's by Trish Saywell. Talon Metals has signed a deal with electric vehicle maker Tesla to provide 75,000 tons of nickel and concentrate over a six-year period from the Tamarack Nickel Copper Cobalt Project in which it owns 51% and Rio Tinto 49%. So you see nickel, and we're about to see in metal prices, nickel is just becoming a greater and greater concern. So here's Tesla getting out ahead of things and securing some supply. And Tamarack declined a request for an interview about the agreement with Tesla and said via email that it is, quote, letting the release speak for itself. Maybe they don't want to compromise the agreement by putting out an interview and saying the wrong thing. The purchase price of the nickel will be linked to the LME nickel price. And according to Talon, the parties, quote, have also agreed to share in byproduct revenues, including from iron and cobalt. So this is interesting. They're not locking in a price. They're just locking in a supply. In addition, quote, Talon and Tesla will work together to optimize nickel concentrate grades and metal recoveries, end quote. Talon states in a corporate presentation on its website that, quote, Tesla has a preferential right to negotiate the purchase of additional nickel concentrate. So it seems to be more about securing supply than locking in price. So those are your news stories now let's take a look at metal prices. Turning to metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. And on January 18th, gold is trading at $1,815.09 per ounce. That is $9 higher than last week. Silver is trading at $22.97 per ounce. That is $0.39 cents higher than last week. Platinum is trading at $970.73 per ounce. That is $29 higher than last week. And palladium is trading at $1,878.20 per ounce. That is $48 lower than last week. And turning to our industrial metals, copper is trading at $4.49 per pound. That is 13 cents higher than last week. Aluminum is trading 3 cents higher at $1.35 per pound. That is near 
the highs of the last couple of years since we started recording these numbers. Lead is trading at $1.08 per pound, also trading very near the highs. That is two cents higher than last week. And the real standout here is nickel at $10.36 per pound. That is 96 cents higher than last week. This isn't some side metal, this is nickel. So that is a big deal. And tin continues its ascent at $18.53 per pound. That is nine cents higher than last week. And I believe this is also a all-time high of the last two years. Yes, it is. And cobalt is a penny lower at $31.71 per pound. And zinc trading near its highs at $1.61 per pound. That is two cents lower than last week. Well, precious metals remain neutral to neutral positive. Gold is above $1,800. We can say that much. And it's a little bit above. I mean, I hear the number is 1870 That's what the technical people are saying, that gold needs to go above. Let's see. I mean, silver, nothing to write home about at 23 bucks. But the real standout here is nickel and also these other industrial metals like tin and zinc and aluminum and copper that are trading right near their highs of the last two years. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have Steve Letwin, CEO of Cassier Gold, former president and CEO of I Am Gold, where they are recently undergoing a CEO change with Gord Stothart. We don't know too many details on that, but Steve Letwin was the person in charge before that. And he is a very well-known figure in the industry, very well-read, very interesting guy. He has been at the Canadian Mining Symposium. Most of those veterans in the industry will know who Steve Letwin is and probably will have talked to him. And he is interviewed by Anthony Moreau, who is CEO of American Eagle Gold. And from the sounds of it, it sounds like Anthony used to work for Steve, so they have a nice relationship. But Anthony asks a lot of the very elemental questions that I think a lot of people would want to know, both experienced and inexperienced, about how Steve ran I Am Gold and how now he is building up Cassier Gold to be another big mining company. So with that, I hope you enjoy it and I will see you on the other side. Hello, my name is Anthony Morrow. I am the CEO of American Eagle Gold. We're a junior exploration company. We have two main assets. One's called the Golden Gate Asset. It's located in Nevada in one of the richest districts in the entire world to be looking for gold on, on the Cortez trend, just south of Gold Rush, which has 50 million ounces. With me right now is Stephen Letwin. Steve Letwin's a dear friend of mine. I worked with him for 10 years. And I thought instead of talking about American Eagle Gold, I thought we'd have a, a candid conversation uh, between two friends, two former colleagues about the junior mining industry and about our companies. Well, Steve and I worked together as well. We uh, helped to run two junior mining companies and both of them have assets in BC. So there's a lot of correlation between both of our work experiences and our current projects. So let me give a quick introduction to Steve. And so Steve Lewin, he worked at IM Gold. He was a CEO for 10 years, but he started his career. He did an undergrad at McMaster. He started his career in Toronto at Procter & Gamble. Following that, he went to Dome Petroleum. He worked under the tutelage of the legend, Jack Gallagher. He learned a lot of his skills from him. From there, he went to TransCanada Pipeline. He was the COO there. He's an EVP of Enbridge Pipelines. Then he ran I Am Gold, a mid-tier gold-producing company, producing over a million ounces, and he ran that for 10 years. And that's where I worked with Steve and, and met him, became friends with him, and I learned a lot from Steve. He built a great culture at the company, uh, extremely generous and very successful at I Am Gold and helped drive the big Cote purchase, which is a mine that's going to be going to production mid next year. Since he left I Am Gold, he's been doing a lot of things. He's on the board of Frontier Lithium, but he's also the chairman of a company called Cassiar Gold. And Cassiar Gold, if you haven't heard of it, I'd be surprised. It's one of the hottest stocks out there. Since September, it's gone from 35 cents. It recently hit $1.30. Right now, it's trading at $1.15. 
And I believe that's just the beginning. There's a lot of upside for Cassier. And, and Steve's going to talk a bit about that story. So that's my introduction to Steve. And just want to add one more thing. Not only is Steve great uh, on the business side, but he really does give back. He's an honorary colonel. He volunteered for UNICEF, United Way, big support of the young mining professionals, an all-around great guy. And I think the real key here is the people. And when you invest in a company, you got to trust the people that are running the companies. So this gives you, the listeners, an opportunity to really understand and get to know the leaders and myself uh, and Steve Lett when they're trying to move these ships forward and deliver value for our shareholders at American Eagle Gold and Cassier, which Steve helps to run. So, Steve, thank you very much for jumping on this webinar. Tony, it's my pleasure, and thank you for your kind words. You know, Tony uh, and I met, as he said, I guess it's now about 12 years ago, I got a call from the receptionist that there was this young guy waiting in the lobby with a Starbucks coffee for me. And I'd never met him before in my life, but he had done some homework and realized that I like Starbucks coffee. So sure enough, I went out there and you know, luckily I didn't have anything booked. And here's this young guy ready to work. And I thought, you know, give him credit. He did some homework. He bought me a coffee and the rest is history. Very entrepreneurial. Tony, uh, I have nothing but great things to say about him. Uh, high energy, very, very uh, strong in terms of his uh, business sense. He's just done a great job there. So, Tony, congratulations. I want to just tell you that Cassiar and, and Tony and I have talked about this many times, you know, really fits with the three key ingredients for success. And it doesn't matter which business you're talking about, but it's people. Uh, making sure you have the right people in the right slots, the jurisdiction, uh, making sure that the jurisdiction is going to be friendly for exploration and development, and then the property itself. And does the property have the characteristics that will lead to economic development? And, you know, I always had a saying whether or not it was in the oil and gas business or whether it's in the mining business, you have to be able to show investors the path to NPV. If you can't do that, then you're not going to get a lot of traction with the share price or with investors coming into the stock. And at Cassiar, we have that. 60,000 hectares in Northeast BC. It's a huge land play. And as my boss, my mentor, and my good friend, Fred Mannix, who's just uh, a fantastically successful businessman in, uh, in Western Canada, in Canada itself, he said to me many times, Steve, don't lose control of the whip. And what he meant by that is that, look, the best way you're going to be able to drive value is to make sure that you can keep control of the asset and move it forward. And at Cassiar, we've done that. There's three main parts of the stool. You, you have the people, uh, you have the jurisdiction, and you have the property, which obviously Cassiar has. We believe American Eagle gold has and let's let's start first off with the people so when we started our company american eagle gold you know we're located in nevada we're in a world-class jurisdiction cortez trended it's the future of of newmont and barracks future growth like a lamborghini if you don't have eyesight that lamborghini doesn't do any value so you need that geologist that person that is not only just a geologist but has a history of success making discoveries so who you have as a technical advisor is a legend douglas Kerwin. How did you manage to attract Doug Kerwin, Steve Robertson, David Reese, James Maxwell to your company? Because I believe that's uh, one of the big reasons for your turnaround and, and your recent success. It's all about relationships. And my, you know, my thanks goes out to uh, Jorge Monroy, as I've mentioned, at Emerging Markets, Marco, Michael Wood. These individuals were absolutely instrumental in introducing the property to Doug Kerwin, to James Maxwell, to David Reese, and others who have joined the team. And I'm not hopefully exaggerating, but Doug Kerwin fell in love with this property. He's absolutely enamored with it. He sees a lot of similarities to other major deposits around the world that he has experience with. David Reese has done nothing but spectacular work around the technical side. Steve Robertson, as you know, had great success and continues to have great success in British Columbia. Balanced, very, very thoughtful businessman, brings a lot to the table. James Maxwell, 
unbelievable experience, not only on the geological side, but on the engineering side. So we are blessed with world-class technical help that really has driven the program that we've seen, which you know, I think we hit four out of 10 times in terms of the top intercepts uh, in North America in the last year. So the drilling results have been really robust, positive, and has helped drive the stock, obviously. So you're located in BC. Let's touch on the jurisdiction. We're, our, our mandate as, as a company, uh, it's the people, but also it's the jurisdiction. So I personally believe there's really three places to be located in the world. It's Australia, third, uh, and Canada and, and the U.S. kind of tied for first. Nevada specifically in, in North America and, and anywhere in Canada really is great. Because as you know, Steve, it's, it's one thing trying to make a discovery. It's a lot of work, a lot of money, a lot of effort. It's the next thing, losing that discovery for privatization by, by a country. Now, can you maybe give us some light on, on why you decided that you wanted an asset in BC and whether you would only focus on these safe jurisdictions or you think maybe you would go overseas to West Africa? Well, as you know, I spent a lot of time in West Africa. I spent a lot of time in South America. I spent a lot of time in Asia. I have nothing against uh, any of those uh, continents, countries, but obviously risk is a factor in where, where you want to develop a deposit. And uh, I think it's intuitive that British Columbia, which is a very, very friendly mining jurisdiction as a province, has been extremely positive with respect to getting our permits. Like we're, we're looking at uh, uh, 160 kilometers of property access roads. We're looking at a 30-person camp that's in place that's fully permitted. We have permits already in place and in hand for all the exploration that we need to do. We have a 300-ton-a-day mill that needs some work but can be put in operation very quickly. And we have 500,000 tons of tailings from previous drilling and production that's occurred, averaging grades between 1 and 1.25 grams a ton. And you know this from me in the past. Infrastructure access is everything. We're not building $50 million roads to nowhere. We're already on a highway. Uh, we have a power line that goes through the property. The deposit's open in every direction. It's perfect for building a very economically attractive mine. And in terms of overburden, which can really eat your lunches, you know, we literally have no overburden in North Cassiar. It's uh, 15 kilometers of very high-grade bulk tonnage uh, that can be mined extremely easily and economically. So uh, do I have a preference of British Columbia, Canada over West Africa? Of course I do, because security, infrastructure, et cetera, is much, much less costly, much more attractive for the reasons that we all know. Thanks for bringing up the part about uh, infrastructure. You're right. You can, you can be located in Canada, but you can also be in the middle of the Arctic, not close to any roads, et cetera, and, and you're kind of out of luck. And again, that's what we were focusing on with American Eagle Gold. We're, we're right next to the Cortez facility that, that Barrick runs, pretty much attached to them, access to road, people, water, et cetera. And the same thing with NACA, the old logging area, so everything's clear. And permits are important. You, you have two permitted areas on your property. You know, when we do our, our drilling in June at, at NAC, looking for that underground copper gold porphyry, we're going to be staying at the the logging camp nearby, which helps expedite those permits. So just as important as infrastructure, uh, which helps you get your permits in the end. Yes, without mentioning Chris Stewart's name, who's been on the board for some time, just outstanding guy, you know, new CEO of Minto, who is in the north. He understands the mining business like the back of his hand. He's been very helpful. And when we did the acquisition of Cassiar, back in 2019, you know, he was instrumental in driving that along with my brother who was chairman. And I have to say, I have to give a shout out to my brother who was past chairman. Without him, we wouldn't even be sitting here talking. Great leadership to get us into Cassiar, combining with Sheep Creek. Again, great leadership, great people. To your point, Tony, if you've got the right people, it's gonna drive the uh, investment the right way. So tell me about this, Steve. Uh, when you guys started as Margo Resources, your tungsten exploration company, then lead and zinc. And then in January 2019, you made the purchase of Cassiar from Wild Sky. And it was fortuitous timing for you, Steve. January 2019, I think gold was around $1,280. As you and I know, we were at IM Gold for seven years from 2012 to 2019. 
Bull did a sideways trade, averaging about $1,300. Right after he made that purchase, gold went up. It went to nearly $2,100 in, in less than a year. Tell us how you made that change and how you came across Cassiar, because it really is a great opportunity. Well, Tony, there's one guy that we've got to put out there that you and Wild know, and you work beside at Iron Gold. His name is Vincent Sun. And if Vincent Sun is listening, he's over in China right now. We owe our deep thanks to him. Um, you know, I worked a lot and I spent three years in Hong Kong working for five Hong Kong billionaires. I set up an office in Beijing for Enbridge. I have a very strong connection with China, Hong Kong, and with Vincent's help and assistance and the relationship we developed with Wild Sky. And these are great people. We still have a lot of Wild Sky ownership. You know, we were able to talk to them about the fact that they had put a lot of money into Cassiar in 2007, 2008, 2009, did a lot of drilling, put a lot of infrastructure in place. And then to your point, gold went sideways and there was fatigue in terms of putting new money in. Call it good luck or good management, but the opportunity came up. My relationships with the Chinese, uh, Vincent Sun's relationship with Wild Sky, my brother's leadership, Chris Stewart's leadership, Rob Durkett's leadership, Doug Foster, people that were on the board, you know, we were at the right place at the right time. And we're so grateful. I'm, I'm forever grateful to those people for being the catalyst for the discussions to come combine it. And I can't forget about Tyler Rice, who's been with me since day one on Margo, just outstanding. And then you combine that with the new management team and the technical team you've already talked about. We've transformed the company dramatically in the last couple of years and in a very positive way. Yeah, when you guys purchased Cassiar, you had 1.04 million ounces of gold at 1.5 grams per ton in situ value, you know, well over $1.3 billion. It's funny that no one else had it, but I was always wondering how you guys got it. Was there a shoot a drop? But then when we made the purchase of NAC, what I realized is a lot of great assets out there. And a lot of people get afraid. They see you know, previous people had it, maybe it's not worth anything, but quite frankly, a lot of these great projects, these great properties have been owned by five, six different people. It's about having the right geologist in place. And when we purchased NAC, like all of our decisions, it was data-driven. Um, and what we had there, they had a lot of data. They had 18,000 meters of drilling there. They had geophysics, geochem, the drilling, as I mentioned, but none of the data, data was ever digitized. No one ever interpreted it. And what we did is we reinterpreted and we actually compared everything. And when you look at data sets of geochem and geophysics, which we eventually saw a giant geophysical signature, you have three uh, coinciding anomalies. That's a sign of potential success. We had five. So we just went right ahead and we didn't care what our stock price was at the time because we believe that there's a lot of upside at our property. And we made that acquisition. I see a lot of parallels with what happened at Cassiar. You saw a great opportunity uh, with Cassiar when you're at Margo, your stock was trading at around eight cents at the time, but it was an opportunity you couldn't pass up and you went and took the risk and made that acquisition. And now your shareholders are really benefiting. So I want to congratulate you on that leadership. Well, I, I have never, I and Tony, thank you for that. You know, you do learn from people you work for. I did work for the great Jack Gallagher. I worked for Pat Daniel at Enbridge, fantastic leader. And, you know, all of those leaders had, big skin in the game. And I can tell you one thing, I've been involved with Cassiar now for eight years. I've never sold one share. I'm the largest independent shareholder of Cassiar and I'm proud of it. My brother was a big holder. So you gotta have skin in the game. And when you have skin in the game, like I do, like others do on the board management team, you wanna add value because you've got your own money in. And uh, I'm very proud of that. Uh, it was the same at Iron Gold. Uh, it was the same at Enbridge. You've got to demonstrate to investors that you walk the talk. And uh, I know you do that as well. I know your management team and board does that. And investors look hard at that. We're not just all talk. We put our own money in. There's been a lot of buying done by insiders at Cassier because they see great potential. And I know that's the case with your company as well. No, Steve, a smart man once told me that the best the best fertilizer is really the, the footsteps of the farmer. Now, for Cassiar, you guys have 60,000 acres. You've only explored around 1% of your whole property. 
Uh, now take people on a little, a little visual journey of what it's like there, 200 kilometers north of Red Crest when you go down there, because I know you go down quite a bit. Well, as you know, I, I'm a you know I learned that from my father, and my brother knows this. You know, we grew up on a farm in southern Ontario, a small, really cash farm that was we were in partnership with a doctor from Buffalo with a much larger farm. But my dad always used to say, "You got to walk the property to understand the property." So made forty seven trips to West Africa when I was at Iron Gold, made over 60 trips to South America. And with respect to Cassiar, we do the same thing. You've got to walk the property. And one thing I will tell you about this property is that it's very accessible. Uh, it's about a five and a half hour drive from Whitehorse. You can drive there easily given the road uh, connections that we have. So we're not flying in, helicoptering in. We're not in any kind of danger with uh, attacks from uh, people in Northeast BC. And, you know, let's remind ourselves again, British Columbia is one of the best mining jurisdictions, not just in Canada, in the world, mm. in the world. So we are blessed with a great property, great access, and you're absolutely right. We walk that property all the time and we're always looking for opportunities when we walk it we're, we've got a great northern exposure with the bulk tonnage over a million ounces as you said inferred and then the south side where doug Kerwin's really excited table mountain some fantastic narrow vein opportunities where we've produced 15 to 20 gram a ton gold in the past uh, about 500,000 ounces just great expansion opportunity yeah, that's great. And especially with Taurus with the bulk tonnage and then the high grade and, and the south, you guys have a, a huge opportunity. Now, a question I have for you and, and maybe some advice. It's one thing having a great geologist, a great property. The, the next step is really trying to get that exposure. You can sell uh, gold at the top of Mount Everest for uh, a dollar an ounce, but if no one's around, you're not going to sell any. Sometimes I feel like kind of batting my head against the wall because I think we have a great property and a great company, but it's about getting that marketing exposure, have people learn about you. Now, you guys did the Cassiar purchase in January 2019. That was three years ago. It really took until September 2021 to really start having people know that you guys are out there. From September 2021 till now, you guys have more than tripled in size. So what is your secret sauce to finally getting that recognition? Because you guys had a great property for a long time and nobody seemed to know. And I feel like we're kind of in that spot right now. Well, I, I'm going to give credit where credit due is due. It's the people that came into the company, Marco, Rock, uh, Shirley Anthony, technical people we've already talked about. Uh, my brother, Jim, who owned, uh, was a partner in a marketing company in Eastern Canada. Uh, without, without the changes that we made, and we, we, we needed to make them because we needed people that were going to be able to communicate the story in a much more effective and efficient manner than we had been doing it in the past. And I put my hand up as somebody that, you know, I was CEO of Iron Gold and, and I, I, Iron Gold came first. And my brother was instrumental in uh, making sure that we got that, that young management team in place. And uh, you one of the titles on this is Old Guard versus New Guard. You're New Guard, Tony, I'm Old Guard. And we brought new garden. I mean, I'm I'm hopefully not sounding like uh, I didn't know what we were doing, but the energy that came with Marco and Shirley, with uh, the people that Orhe Monroy bought, Michael Wood, that brought into the company, the uh, James Maxwells, the David Reeses, you know, what I would call the the new guard into the company it was like new blood. And I, as I say, I, I like to give credit where credit is due. The change in this company had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the people that we brought in at the time of the Cassiar purchase. And they were absolutely instrumental in getting the message out in a very clean, transparent way. And the drilling results obviously were very robust, very positive, and complemented the message. So my hat's off to the new team. So when we formed the company and working at uh, I Am Gold for, for a long time uh, with you working at M&A, uh, we, we wanted to create a company, we wanted to make a discovery. And I, I don't lie to investors. Investors ask us if we're planning to produce someday. And quite frankly, Steve, I would say it's probably not. 
Uh, we have smart geologists. Our job is an exploration company. We want to make a world-class discovery and create a liquidity event and a chance for our, for our investors to make a lot of money, create shareholder value and exit. So being a CEO of I'm Gold, a major mining producer, what kind of things were you looking for when you guys looked at junior mining companies? What was attractive? Uh, were there certain milestones they had to have, certain amount of uh, gold uh, resources in the ground? Uh, and can you explain that? Very similar to Cote, which is transformational for I'm Gold. Looked at the, the size of the land position, looked at the access with respect to infrastructure, looked at the history of drilling with Cassiar. There was uh, absolutely a huge amount of core that hadn't been uh, assayed. There was a lot of money that had gone into the deposit that hadn't been crystallized in the form of assays. And we, you know, we, we knew we had a huge inventory of opportunity. And if that inventory happened to turn out positive, then we had ourselves a great value add opportunity to acquire it. And to the credit of Wild Sky, they saw the opportunity that was there with us a uh, new team, able to raise money, able to do the exploration follow-up that they hadn't been able to do. And again, easy access, virtually no overburden, a million ounces that we thought for sure was uh, verifiable and more. I firmly believe that the bulk tonnage side, the North Cassiar side has upwards of 3 million ounces. And in, the, in terms of the South at Table Mountain, I don't have the expertise, obviously. You know, Doug Kerwin's forgotten more about mining than I know. And uh, when Doug, somebody like Doug Kerwin, who has the respect of everybody in the world, in the geological world, when he gets excited, like he has been about Table Mountain, it, it just gives me goosebumps because it tells me there's a lot of upside there. And it has a, it has a proven history upwards of 500,000 ounces mined in the past at very high grade. This didn't escape us. So you put all that together, Tony, and the acquisition that was made, the combination that was made really with Wild Sky was a win for Wild Sky and a win for Margo at the time to create the new Cassia. Taking a step back, you're formerly CEO and president of I'm Gold. You know, major mining producer, and now you're the chairman of Cassia Gold, uh, a high-flying gold exploration company. Tell us the difference of going from a, a major miner to a exploration company uh, and what kind of skills you, you took from being at a miner, what challenges you had, uh, and what you've learned so far. Well, the, the first thing you have to realize with, with a junior is that uh, you're not going to get the attention that you're looking for unless you've got outstanding drill results. And there's no substitute for grade. And we know that from our days at Iron Gold. Uh, when we started to see the drill results come in at Cote, it was transformational for Iron Gold. It's no different here. You know, I'm chairman of the company, and my job as chairman is to make sure the board is uh, well populated with great people. We've done that. And to make sure that the CEO and CFO and the management team has the tools they need to move the project ahead. And so my job has changed quite a bit. I'm not on the front line, but I'm there to help. I'm a conduit for Marco, for Shirley, you know, for Tyler, for the team to put all the pieces together. And again, we've got Steve Robertson on the board, Chris Stewart on the board, and others that uh, have great experience bring that to the table. Great advice from David, great advice from James, from Doug, et cetera that drive us in the right direction. So I think we have all the ingredients there for success. I think we're seeing that. And you know, News at 11, our next drilling program, which I think is gonna be more robust than last year, will start putting the icing on the cake. Our job is to create a property in a jurisdiction with the right people that is attractive probably for others of bigger market cap to maybe see that invest in it and bring it forward as an economically attractive mine. Are you taking it one step at a time in terms of your strategy, whether whether you want to position yourself for takeover, eventually become a, a producer? Because you're, you're in a unique situation where you were working for a producer. So um, what's your take on that? I've seen so many juniors who maybe get in over their heads, get over their skis. And I, I guess I learned the lesson that 
you need to be big to be able to build a mine of any size or consequence. You need a balance sheet. You don't want to be putting your investors in harm's way by stretching your balance sheet. Cash is everything. And uh, you never want to run out of cash, obviously, and put your investors in a squeeze. We will be extraordinarily careful about making sure we don't get, uh, we don't drink too much of our own whiskey. You've heard me say that before. We're going to get the help we need to move this mine in the right direction for our shareholders. The shareholders are everything to me. I'm a huge shareholder. We're not going to do anything that uh, materially dilutes value. And we're going to make sure we have the right support financially to be able to bring this mine forward. Even the major mining companies out there, it's hard for them to even build a mine on time and on budget. So you want to stay in your own lane. You want to do what you do well with the uh, with the Casey Gladwells, uh, the Mark Bradleys, uh, the skills that we have, which is to find that giant deposit and position yourself for success and shareholder value, which is eventually a, a takeover and, and find that three, five, 10 million ounce deposit that I think American Eagle Gold and your company will also have in Cassier Gold. So thank you very much, everyone. And Steve, thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. And thank you to Steve Letwin and Anthony Moreau for the wonderful interview. I hope you all found that very educational and helpful. And I hope you enjoyed the show. So don't forget, we have the next Global Mining Symposium happening on February 23rd and 24th. Just go to events.northernminer.com and registration is free. I hope you have a wonderful and safe, healthy week. If you want to help out the podcast, leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Send it to your friends, and until next week, take care.